Today, however, as uh, Gary mentioned, we want to talk about Cain and Abel. These are certainly two contrasting characters. First, two children. Cain means acquired or gotten. Abel may mean vanity or futile. And his life certainly was short in this world, but what he accomplished was of great value. Let's go to Genesis chapter 4. Here we learn about these two brothers, how different though they were. Chapter 4, Genesis, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> and Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Remember, his name means gotten or acquired. She gave God the credit. And she again gave birth to Abel, his brother. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it happened that Cain brought from the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect to Abel and to his offering, but to Cain and to his offering he did not have respect. And Cain was very mad, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you wroth? Why are you mad? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, shall you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and to you shall be his desire, and you shall rule over him. I like the way that's expressed in the Amplified Bible. Chapter 4 of Genesis, verse 7, says this there. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin crouches at your door, and its desire is for you, and you must master it. That's quite a graphic way of describing it. Sin is crouching at the door. You need to master it. It's ready to pounce. You need to deal with it. And sometimes in our lives, we have to think of things like that. Remember, too, that Satan, like a roaring lion, goes about whom he may devour. He's looking for those he may destroy. Picking up then with verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And there's some historical evidence from ancient documents that actually Cain asked his brother to go out in the field with him. And if that be the case, it was evidently with a murderous intent. At any rate, they did go to the field. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. 
And it happened when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. He murdered him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to take care of him? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It speaks about this kind of thing in the last verse of Isaiah 26. And now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive your brother's blood at your hand. When you till the ground, it shall not from now on produce to you its strength. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be in the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Look, you have driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from your face I shall be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall happen that every time that someone finds me, he shall kill me. The Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him seven times. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Sad statement. And he lived in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived. And it goes on to tell how different ones were produced of his descendants. And bad as Cain was, it seems like the last one that's mentioned here in this passage, a descendant of Cain, was Lamech. And he seemed to be even worse than Cain. So we find an ungodly line coming forth from, from Cain. Cain asked this question in response, am I my brother's keeper when God confronted him? Shortly after I became a Christian, a fellow worker asked me about that question of Cain. I'm not sure I'd ever heard that question before, but he was asking me about it. I don't remember what I said, but at any rate, here's how he tried to dodge responsibility. Am I supposed to take care of my brother? Well, that's a good question. And the answer really is yes. There is a responsibility that we have toward other people. Of course, this had not yet been revealed as far as we know, but in Leviticus 19, verse 18, it tells us that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Somehow, we should know that instinctively. Perhaps Cain had heard that, I don't know. But at any rate, he certainly was not doing that, was he? He hated his brother. Probably he was jealous of his brother. And so he decided to kill his brother, which he did. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, would be a good answer too. You are, you are to be caring and loving towards your brother, which you were not. 
his blood cries to me from the ground, there's going to be a punishment. And so he was sent out as a vagabond. He ended up building a city. It sounds a little contrary to the punishment. He was afraid that he would be murdered when people would find him. God set a mark upon him. Doesn't tell us what kind of a mark, but it was warning to other people, don't execute him. Now later on, after the flood, God revealed that murderers should be executed. In Genesis 9, verse 6, it says that whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood should be shed. But then it adds a reason. Because in the image of God, he made man. So in one sense, if you kill somebody, it's like killing God. Man is made in God's image. And at that point, capital punishment was established right after the flood. Well, in the New Testament, we find it talking about Cain. Go with me, if you would, over to 1 John. 1 John, beginning with verse 12. And it's in chapter 3. Actually, let's back up to verse 11. It sets the stage. 1 John 3, 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not like Cain, who was of that wicked one, and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because his own works were bad and his brother's righteous. Don't be amazed, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. We love fellow Christians, you see. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hereby we perceive God's love because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so we see that love is the critical thing, not hate like Cain, not jealousy like Cain, but we are to love especially Christian brothers and sisters, but we should love our neighbors. Jesus said that's the second most important commandment there is. And that's true, it is indeed. We're to love our neighbors. Jesus was confronted with a lawyer in the book of Luke, and Jesus, in response to the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? thinking of loving your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Remember what Jesus told him. Some of you were here to hear the message recently. He told him the story of the Good Samaritan. And so here was someone the Jews didn't even like. He was the hero of the story, the Samaritan. So the question is not so much who's my neighbor, but to whom am I willing to be a neighbor? <laughs> am I willing to love other people? In fact, Jesus told us we should, not only in the second great command here, but he told us we should in the parable or the story 
perhaps true of the Good Samaritan. We're not to be like Cain and have hate, we're to be like love, like this Good Samaritan was. Now in the New Testament, we find another reference to Cain I'd like to mention. That's in the book of Jude. Jude, as you probably know, is right before the book of Revelation. Beginning in verse 10, but these speak evil of those things which they do not know. But what they do know naturally, like brute beasts in those things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them because they have gone in the way of Cain. You see, the way of murder, the way of hate. But God says, no, we are to love one another. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I concerned for fellow Christians? Am I concerned for foreigners and for those who are lost? Am I really an agent of Jesus and his love toward other people? That's something for each of us to ask ourselves. Am I living by love or am I living by some other standard, perhaps even hatred, which of course we hope none of us live on that basis. But remember that Jesus even said, love your enemies. <laughs> you can find that in Matthew, can't you, in the Sermon on the Mount. And so that's his command to us, to love everybody. Especially husbands and wives need to love one another. And we need to love our families. June and I went to a memorial service yesterday taking the mother of a young lady who had died recently. Young lady probably died of too much drugs. A very difficult time for the mother and the family. And so we drove the mother from Placerville to Auburn. It was being held in a man's house that we knew him many years ago. And of course, her son. There had been some difficulty in the family. The son who was in charge tried to heal that as much as he could with love. And that's so important that we not go in the way of Cain, but that we go in the way of love and the way of the Lord Jesus. And what about this thing of, of sin crouching at the door? You see, he was warned, was he not? He was warned to fight against sin. It's crouching like an evil beast ready to spring and to destroy. I found one of the great things that help in fighting sin is what it tells us in Romans chapter 12 in the ninth verse. It says, abhor that which is evil. Abhor that which is evil. In other words, have a abhorrence, a horrible distaste toward anything that's bad, that's sinful. The more we can cultivate that attitude toward sin, the more it helps us resist sin, to resist this crouching beast which would spring and destroy us. It's something to think about. I think about it a lot. Abhor that which is evil. Don't pat it on the back. Don't cozy up to it. 
May it be like sewage. Avoid it. Have nothing to do with it. May it be horribly distasteful to you. If you really look at sin that way, then who wants to mess with it? <laughs> who wants to get close to it? Who wants to let it master as the crouching beast would? Of course, there are other things about resisting sin. Remember how Jesus resisted the devil's temptations? Three cases, he resisted it by quoting scripture, referring to God's word. That's a good way to resist that which is wrong. But in order to know scripture, we gotta study scripture. He had those scriptures he could use. We need scriptures because we've studied and know them, uh, hopefully memorized many of them that will be helpful to us. And so that's another very important weapon to conquer the crouching beast of sin, not only to abhor that which is evil, but to use God's word as a sword as we learn in Ephesians chapter six. Then there's the Holy Spirit to help God's people fight sin. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily control every Christian like he wants to. That's our choice. We chose to yield to God to be what God wants us to be. Going back here to Genesis, uh, chapter 4. Not only does it talk about Cain and the evil things that he did and the punishment, but it talks about Abel. So we come from a very bad person to a very good person. What did Abel do? He was a keeper of sheep, verse 2. What else did he do? Verse 4, Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. The Lord had respect to Abel and to his offering. He was a shepherd. He cared for the sheep. Now it's been pointed out that Cain's offering was just a vegetable offering, but that Abel's offering was a blood offering. Perhaps he learned that because when Adam and Eve sinned, they were clothed with something from a sheep, a lamb or a sheep had been slaughtered, one or two, to provide clothing for them. They realized they were naked and they needed a covering. And so we find that God provided a covering, the sheepskins. So perhaps Cain knew about that but didn't follow that lead. Perhaps Abel knew about it and did follow that lead. But there's another thing here. You see, in the process of time, Cain finally brought the offering. It's like, okay, I'm gonna do it, but you know, eventually I'll get around to it. But more important than that, perhaps, is the attitude. Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock. He brought the first and the best. Cain, it doesn't say he brought the first and the best even of his vegetables. So there was a defect in Cain's approach and a beautiful, submissive, worshipful thought in Abel's offering. That, of course, is so important. And the Bible says, seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then he'll take care of the needed things like food and clothing. Again, that's in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, in the New Testament, it also talks about Abel in a couple of places. First of all, in Matthew, let's go to chapter 23. Here's what it says in verse 35, Matthew 23, 35. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Yes, Abel was the first martyr killed by his brother because he loved God. We find also in another place in the book of Hebrews, the great faith chapter that Abel is listed. Hebrews chapter 11, here's what it tells us in verse 4. 11, 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God witnessing of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaks. So we read about it, and he's speaking to us, is he not? He gave an acceptable offering. He gave a blood sacrifice. He gave the first and the best to God. And he's remembered for doing that. He's listed in this great chapter and list of people who are righteous by faith. And so it is that we become righteous in God's sight by faith as well, is it not? You know, I was thinking, when you really think about the whole broad issue here between Cain and Abel, you find the broad issue of humanity being separated into two great groups. Again, back to the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, here's what we find in verses 13 and 14. You enter in the straight or narrow gate because, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there are who go in thereat because narrow is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And there are just a few who find it. So Jesus likens the way to righteousness, the way to heaven, the way to God, as a very narrow, small gate and road. And he narrows the other one, he tells about it, as being very broad. And what does he say? He says, most people are on that Broadway, that big freeway that leads to destruction. It's only a few people who are on that narrow road, the end of which is life. He divides humanity into those great categories. You suppose that's still true today? I think it's very true today. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow 
is the way that leads to life. You enter in the narrow way, he tells us. And so we're brought to a choice. Choose the way of Abel. Reject the way of Cain. Choose the way of God. Reject the way of the world. And most of us have lived long enough to see radical changes in the world. When you were a child, most of us, the world and our country was very different from what it has now become. Things that were known to be wrong at the time when we were kids are now said to be right. You know, in Isaiah, we find that thing mentioned. In fact, we had a couple of friends visited last Friday in our home, and I mentioned to them, I think before June arrived, back from getting her new permanent, uh, in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, one of these ladies was very interested in that statement. 5.20 Woe to them who call evil good and good evil. And it goes on. They put darkness for light and bitterness for sweet and so on. But this is actually what's happening today. People are calling things good and right and they're trying to legitimatize them and make laws that support them that the Bible says are wrong. And then things that really are right and which God presents as being correct and righteous, they're saying is wrong. We live in a difficult time, do we not? You know, the Bible warned us that in the last days, difficult days, dangerous days would come because people would be lovers of their own selves. And that very much describes what's happening. We're so much self-centered today. People are can all out for themselves and they seem to think they have the right to choose anything they want. It's been compared to the day of the judges. The end of the book, it says that everybody did that which is right in his own eyes. <laughs> and so there are a lot of different things today that are happening which are very sad indeed. Christians are called more and more to be the light of the world. If Christians don't stand up for truth, what is going to happen? Who will stand up for truth? There's another verse I'd like to close with that also portrays the great division of mankind. Those on the broad way, those on the narrow way those on God's way, those on the world's way. A verse that means a lot to me. Before I became a Christian, the person that helped me the most to make that decision had given me a Gospel of John. And I told her, yes, I'd read it. And I was reading it one day in our living room and my father went by and I had just read uh, maybe a few minutes before this verse. John 3, not 16, but 36. John 3, 36. So I read it to my father. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. He that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. A better translation, he who is disobedient to the Son. 
shall not see life. So we see John the Baptist is here speaking in the passage and that he puts humanity into two great classes, those who believe on the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and those who don't. He said, the one have life. He says, the other, God's anger, God's wrath is resting upon him. My dad's response was something like, uh, are you religious? And my response was basically, and I wasn't a Christian, but yeah, I, th I thought I was uh, pretty well religious. Of course, that's how people often describe it. If you're a, a Christian too, are you religious? <laughs> But we know it's more than being religious. It's being a believer in Jesus, being transformed within and living for him and letting his light shine through us. So we find humanity divided into two great classes, do we not? Those in the broad way, those in the narrow way, the Christians. Those who believe on the Son of God, who died for our sins, who rose from the dead. Those who do not be disobedient to him. Am I my brother's keeper? Do we feel an urgency to share Jesus with those we love and our friends and others? And you know, we don't know how people might respond to the message. Sometimes you find like big, strong, drunken sailors that will respond. June and I know a man that he pretty well says that's what he used to be a sailor with serious problems. But he heard about Jesus and he gave his life to Jesus. Now he loves Jesus and lives for the Lord. So you never know how people are gonna change. Sometimes those you never think will be a Christian end up recognizing the truth and submitting to Jesus. Well, I hope these thoughts about Cain and Abel will be helpful to us. May we live in love May we live in God's way. May we trust God and thank him for his love expressed through his son, the Lord Jesus. Shall we pray? Maybe there's someone who feels a need to truly dedicate his or her heart to the Lord. If so, please pray after me in your heart. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I have done wrong things, that I deserve your judgment, but I turn as best I can from what is wrong in my life. I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who died on the cross for my sins. I thank you that he is alive bodily in a glorious body from the dead. I would now commit my life to you in Jesus' name. And help us, Lord, as we go our ways now. May your light shine through us. May we have your love and your joy and your wisdom in our hearts. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen.